0: Meal almost gone But God sent Elijah To make his word known He said, woman, don't you worry For God sent me today And before you even asked him Help was on the way just hold on a little longer Help is on the way A brighter day is coming for those who believe and pray Help want help tomorrow if you give up today just hold on a little Is on the way Troubles of this life come by And burdens get you down You think no one is listening You think no one's around Just remember what His Word says Trust Him and obey Keep your eyes towards the heavens Cause help is on the way just hold on a little longer Help is on the way A brighter day is coming For those who believe and pray Help will help tomorrow If you give up today Just hold on a little longer Help is on the way Help won't help tomorrow If you give up today Just hold on a little longer Help is on the way
1: Thank you so much for that. Wonderful! What a wonderful message. Wonderful, and uh, it's a great day to be together. And and uh, God's got His hand on us and prepared for us. And as we we think about what God wants, and and what He's going to do next in our lives, uh, a lot of times, if you're like me, you come out and, and you're thinking, God, I, I read about things that You did in the New Testament, or I hear about things that You did in the past, and like with the passing of Billy Graham a few weeks ago, we, we think about even 50 years ago what God did through him. And a lot of times I end up saying, God, do it again, do it again. Just just move and, and let us see your hand at work and, and let our community see and understand. The, uh, the scripture that I want us to, to look at today is Second is Chronicles chapter 7. First three verses, not the part that you're probably more familiar with that's uh, down with verse 14 that talks about revival, but Second Chronicles 7, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Solomon is, is dedicating the temple. He's been praying, and then these are the words of Scripture in Second Chronicles 7. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let's bow together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you do in our lives and And, God, we we read about your working and some of the supernatural uh, movement. And, God, our prayer is that you would send your fire down on us today and that people would see your glory through us. And, God, we would point directly to you. Uh, We offer this prayer now and ask you to speak as we know you do and give us hearts to hear and to obey. We pray this together now. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, amen. This scripture talks about the fire coming down. And in our lives, you, you may have one at home. Most people don't have them anymore. But it wasn't many years ago that we had fireplaces for more than just to look at. And you'd put a roaring fire in there and, and the, with real wood, not, not gas, and you put the wood in there and, and you watched it be consumed and, and the, the, the dried out wood became in time glowing embers and, and then later on ash that was the residue. As a kid, I could sit for hours and just watch the fire burn. And I remember at camp, every time we'd go to camp, we'd, we always wanted to have, hey, let's have a campfire, whether it was Boy Scouts or whether it was just a bunch of guys going hunting or whether it was a youth camp, we wanted a campfire that we could sit around and, and we could watch it, watch it glow and, and just watch what happened and feel the warmth that comes from it. You know, it's, it's not always something that, that we have at home anymore. And I remember when I was a teenager or some thereabouts, my dad got a fireplace insert, which is it's a lot more efficient because it had the blower fan and it would put the heat out And I came home one day, and he was so excited because it is more efficient. And I thought, why do you want to do something like that? You know, when we can't look at the fire, it's just a cast-iron box. Well, it did. It worked. It made the house hot, so it, it worked. But you couldn't see the fire anymore. When we talk about the church in America today, if we were to poll people on the outside as to what's going on and, and why they're less interested in being a part than they used to be a generation or two ago, that might be what they would tell us. Is to say, I can't see the fire anymore. You read through Scripture in a lot of different places. God always had an open fire. Moses and the burning bush, well, it was an open fire right out there, right out there in the middle of of nowhere. What's going on? This bush isn't being consumed, but it's on fire, a burning bush fireplace. And then you you look a little bit further, and you've got Elijah on Mount Carmel, one of the, the great, great, great stories of the Bible where the, the priests of Baal were, were criticizing and ridiculing God, and Elijah was standing up, and, and God sent down fire from heaven and consumed the, the, the waterlogged animals and wood and everything, water in the trenches. and everything. The fire came down and not only consumed the offering, but it lapped up the water in the, the trench. I, that's always been an incredible... I wish I'd been there that day, Amen. and I would have liked to have seen that. And then here you've got Solomon. They're dedicating a new temple, and they've built it. It's been it's been years in the making, collecting the wood. His dad collected the materials, and then Solomon has has built this temple. And he's praying, and it, and it says again, when he'd finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you think about that scene and and the the temple that they dedicated to God is so full of God that they can't even go in because his glory has got the place filled. And then in, in verse 3, when the children of Israel saw the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped him, saying he's good and his mercy endures forever. You know, as, as much as, as we like fireplaces, it, it warms, it provides heat. It prepares, like if if you want to prepare food, you put the food in the fire, or or above it, around it. It prepares it so you can eat it. A fire does so many things. It, It cheers us up. and When you think about the church today, and what we're doing, and what we long to see God do in our communities... That image of fire is is one of the best ones. That's what we want God to do here. That's what we want him to do in our lives. And then it to spread, because fire also, and Jonathan's a fireman, and, and we want it to spread in a controlled manner. I mean, you've seen people burn their fields, and, and all the time it gets away from them. And they, prob- they call Jonathan, and you got put out the fire that I started trying to burn up the corn or, or whatever, or the hay field, and then it gets away from them. Fire's hard to control in a physical world. But how incredible would it be if the Holy Spirit of God took such control of Conway Baptist Church and the individuals of Conway Baptist Church that spiritually that consuming fire of God enveloped this whole area and we could no longer control it. That God's doing things, and, and then you'd be calling Jonathan not to put it out, but you say, hey, man, you can't miss this. <laughs> and that's not always what happens in our churches today, is it? And I'm not picking on Conway. You, you pick, pick a church off the map. You know, we don't normally, we want to control things, and we want it to happen our way and the way we, we say I think I told you this story before, and I won't tell the whole one. But I I went in on a Wednesday night to a prayer meeting, and what they were having was a business meeting, and they were fussing about lights. And there was somebody that, I mean they I mean this guy was mad, and I came in and sat kind of toward the back, and uh, the guy in front of me I knew well. He was organist Jeff, and, and Jeff turned around and. He said, I am embarrassed and ashamed that you're here tonight to hear this. I don't know what's going on. And I said, laughing, I said, well, somebody wanted some different light fixtures than what y'all got. It's obvious. And the the guy did everything but but cuss them out. And then he left while they were still meeting. And and he cussed them out in the parking lot because you could hear it. And what it came down to was his wife had picked out some different light fixtures and what they did. They had some similar to these, you know, bigger and and older. And they reworked them, and he didn't want them to rework them. He wanted to buy the new chandelier kind of things. And it was all about a light fixture, which, you know, maybe what she picked out, it might have been the best thing since sliced bread, but it's still just a light fixture. And, and a lot of times, we're like that particular guy. We want to control things. And not just the movement of God, just things in church or things in the family or things in the community. But, but also God. You know, God, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. So the question for us today is... How can we let go to the point to where God has complete control and he can do what he wants to do and the Spirit of God can come down with fire just like on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and and they saw the the tongues of fire and the wind blowing. And then they they heard the the gospel in their own languages and they accused them, These people are drunk. No, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Spirit and there were thousands saved that day. After Peter's message. How incredible for that to happen again today. Well, there are some things that that happen, like in in verse 7, the first words, when Solomon had finished praying. A church on fire or a person on fire is going to be a person and a church that is committed to prayer. And even prayer and fasting. You know, you look at me, you know, I don't fast as much as I ought to. Now, fasting is not a diet kind of fasting. That's not, you know, what that is. But fasting is when we, we're so consumed in prayer and coming into the presence of God that there's not time for anything else, and we're intentionally focusing on Him to be our everything, just like we sang. I, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. So a church that's focused on prayer, they're going to seek God with their whole heart. Uh, Matthew uh, 17, verse 21, that, that's the story of the, the disciples when they were trying to cast out a, a demon out of a little boy, and they couldn't do it. And then the father and the disciples come to Jesus, and, and Jesus says, bring him to me, and, and he immediately casts the demon out. And then the disciples said, why, why couldn't we do that? What, what happened to us? Why couldn't we? And Jesus said, this kind can only be cast out through fasting and prayer. And here Solomon's been praying and God spent, sends down the Spirit. You look in the book of Acts all through it and, and the other places as well. But right before Pentecost, they're in the upper room. They're praying. They're of one accord praying. And then in Acts chapter four, thirty-one, that, that famous verse When they had prayed together, the place was shaken. And then they went out and they preached the word of God with boldness. Prayer meetings for us a lot of times come down to a a list of, Dear God, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do for me. And and a lot of them are good things. Somebody's sick and we ask God to intervene, and, and that's important. God doesn't reject that and tell us not to do that. But prayer and fasting, a, a heart that's focused on God, is, is like in Matthew six thirty three. That says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you when we're focused on him. Seeking God with, with everything we are. Uh, we're also going to respond to the needs of our own day with prayer. Uh, when I was in college, a guy came to my room, Ken, and some girl called him on the telephone and, and said, I don't know what she told him, but it was not good news. And then Ken, talking on my phone, he said, well, and he called her baby. So she wasn't his girlfriend, but he, he said, well, baby, all I know you can do is you can pray. And he hung up while I was sitting there laughing. And when he hung up and he said, what are you laughing at? And I said, well, if nothing else works, Ken, I guess prayer's the thing you do, right? I say, you said, I don't know what else you can do, so pray. That's your default. I, I, well, hey, in my power, I can't do it, and therefore, Lord, now I'll give it to you because I've already struck out. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. What God's saying is, you, you come to me first. So for Conway Baptist Church and the search committee, we've been praying for them they can work as hard as they work, but until God intervenes and sends the right person, we don't want that person. So prayer's your, your first step, and it's your ongoing step. And your life, and you probably can make a list of the things that are, are not the way you desire and you wish they were, decisions you're making or difficulties you're facing, health issues or financial issues or family issues. There may be somebody at work that the relationship's difficult with, Pray first. A friend of mine this week was talking, two ladies were talking, and one of them was sharing some difficulties at work and and what she wanted to see God do. And and my other friend said, you've been praying for yourself for all of these months and even years. And then she made this advice or this comment. She said, maybe... What you need to do is stop praying for your own self so much and pray for the other person. Now, now that's, think about that. Because praying for myself in a, in that situation, difficult work environment. Okay, if I'm praying for myself, God make this better for me. That's really a selfish prayer. But what my friend told her friend is said now you pray for the other person and now you're praying for God to intervene in that person's life and it'll intervene he'll intervene in your life. That's changing everything, not just for you. That's a different kind of prayer, and honestly, for me, that's not always the first way I pray. Because I'm I'm normally I I understand what I want. And I can tell God what I want. And then I can see when God does it the way I want it. But then other times I'm praying and I'm thinking, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? Well, you know, no is an answer. Wait is an answer. And yes is an answer too. Well, when we're praying people and we lay it at the feet of the infinite creator of the universe and we say, God, you know everything about this situation not just what I think I know, but you know everything. And so for my colleague, for my spouse, for my child, for my church, for my, my neighbor or the person that you think is an enemy, God, I pray that you would intervene, that your Holy Spirit would come on them, that you would take control, and that then, God, you have it your way. And then the next step is, and God, when you have it your way, help me to, Surrender to your way, whatever that way is. God, give me the confidence that this is your way, and then and I'll, I'll let go. Lord, you can have it. You're the one who made it. You're the one who, who did and, and does everything. But another thing that, that happens when a church is, is filled with the fire of, of God is we're no longer comfortable with the things of the world. Now, I, I love the world we, we live in as far as having you know, heating and air conditioning and a car or a truck that drives and the, the modern comforts. Those are some great things. But when Scripture is talking about the things of the world, it's talking about the carnal, the fleshly things as opposed to the spiritual things. And, folks, isn't it true that a lot of times in our lives, our focus is on the fleshly things and not the spiritual That we want what we can see and what we can touch. A a friend of mine this week, in in talking about us, the United States, he said, "We we want bigger and better. Give me a better job and a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger paycheck and everything's good. But spiritually speaking, no, that doesn't mean everything's good. That means you got a bigger house, bigger car, bigger paycheck, and a better job. And it might be that God blessed you and gave you those things. It's entirely possible. I spent four years with the International Mission Board in Italy. In the years I was there, and it may still be true, but a little bit less so now, but in the years I was there, the mafia ran Italy. So when you had more money, that typically meant that you were more in with the mafia. It didn't have anything to do with what God gave you. It was what the mafia gave you. And they did control things. And so you could compromise with them. I had a, a guy in my building who they wanted you to... Uh, he, he would always... He claimed he was a lawyer. That's what, that's what he said. Or he worked in law. Excuse me. I work in law. Are you a lawyer? Well, No. And immediately I thought, all right, I'm afraid I probably know what you do. And then he's always gone, and he came back with stuff, you know, bags of oranges. And, and he had a can of tuna that was that big, you know, one time. And tuna, this is 30 years, 20 years ago. It was expensive. The little cans like we would pay a little bit for at the store, they were five or six bucks for that little old can back then. So that big one he had, you can imagine, you're talking a 50 or $75 can of tuna. He came back with stuff all the time. And then eventually the, the tailor that the, you know, made clothes downstairs, I started asking him. I said, tell, tell me about Parolo because I'm, and this is not the Prolo tours now. That's a different. But, but I said, tell me about Parolo because something's fishy. And he said, you already picked up on that, huh? I said, mm-hmm. And he said, you know how he said he works in law? yeah. He said, Well, maybe it's some kind of type of law enforcement, because he's a collector for the mafia. He goes and that stuff he brings back, that's your 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 bribes, your your extortion money. And so I said, Well, Renato, what if if you were to give him money, oranges or tuna, whatever, when you're giving him stuff, what are you paying him for? You're protecting yourself from what? And he said, from him. Or them. Well, if, if we're loving the things of the world and we're going to live for the things of the world, then we're basically going to acquiesce to Satan and we're going to do whatever we got to do to get more out of this world. And if it means surrendering things to Satan, we'll do it to be protected. And what God's saying to us is, no, love, love me more. Love me enough that you're willing to let go of everything and say, No, I'm your protection. And I'm the one who will build that hedge around you, and nobody will get through that hedge if I say they can't. They can't touch you. To love not the things of the world. Another verse in, in Second Timothy chapter two, verse four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We make a choice in whose army we we are in. The Lord's army or the army of this world. And I'm not not saying don't do military service for the United States of America, not at all. But are are we going to serve the infinite king or are we going to serve the prince of the power of the air? Those are the two armies. We're not talking about you know, military service, but, but heart. Who do we give our heart to? A church that's on fire for God, God's got our heart. He's got complete and absolute control. A church that's on fire for, soul, for God is also going to care about souls. You think about uh, Matthew 9 that we read last week. Jesus looks out at Jerusalem and he weeps over them because he cares about them. You think about the book of Acts and, and they went everywhere preaching even after Stephen was killed and Paul was persecuting Christians in, in those middle chapters of Acts. It talks about them going everywhere and preaching. They, they cared about people. A friend of mine, Mike Pittman, who's a pastor down in Lumberton, told me this story that, that I had trouble understanding it when he first told me. But, but Mike said the biggest struggle he had as a pastor, was loving people. And I said, what, what do you mean? Are you a hard-hearted, mean guy? And he said, no. I loved seeing people come to know the Lord, but I didn't necessarily love people. And I said, I'm not, uh, I'm not understanding you. What, you know, what are you saying? And he said, well, I'll tell you this story from last Sunday. And he, he hit on the hot-button issue of today, he said, there's a, there's a homosexual guy, openly gay, that's coming to my church. He said, in the past, my desire and my love for him will be focused on the fact that he come to know Christ, but I didn't care about him. And he said, but last Sunday, he said, we were in the bathroom, two sinks. He said, we're washing our hands side by side. And he said, now that guy, Mike told me, he said, that guy doesn't stand for hardly anything I stand for. And he said, he's eventually going to get mad at me and he's going to end up probably leaving the church. I'll say something one day and he'll say, that's enough. Or he'll commit everything in his life to Christ. He said, those are the two options. He said, but I can honestly tell you I love that guy in the Lord. I want the best for him in life. He said, so we're in there before church one Sunday. He said, we're washing hands. And he said, I looked over at the guy and I said, buddy, I'm, I'm glad you're here. It is good to see you today. I hope you've had a good week. And I said, but Mike, you, you would have said that before. And he said, yeah, but here's the difference. The guy looked back at me and he said, I know you do. Even though he's rejected everything I've taught and everything I've preached, he knows I love him. So if he rejects Jesus Christ, it will not be because I don't love him. He'll reject the message, but not out of hatred and anger at me. And I've I've stewed on that for three or four years since, since Mike told me. All right, that's caring for people. And yes, yes, Mike's deep desire for that young man is that he give his life completely to Christ and and that Jesus Christ become Lord of his life and take control of every single aspect of it. But as of right now, that had not happened. But Mike said, that doesn't change my responsibility to love him. And then he said, it's hard to do when somebody's openly living a life that rebels against everything you believe. But it's a calling God gave me, and I, I looked at Mike. I've known him for twenty five years, and I thought that, that's that's a mouthful. That he's saying we need to love our community to the point that we're like the story I told you last week from Armenia, when you you walk into a cold room, and we went into a church, and there'd be you know one uh, gas, and I called it a radiator, but it wasn't a ra- it was the gas, you know one brick heater, which isn't enough for a you know big room. So you walk into the big room, and you got that one little heater, and everybody was drawn to it. What Mike was saying is, I want that guy drawn to the love of Jesus Christ that evidences through me, and he isn't going to see that in the world, and I want him to be drawn to it and to understand that, yes, Jesus Christ changed my life, and the reason I can love you is because Jesus Christ loved me when I was a sinner. When I was rebelling against him, when I turned my back on him, when I was uh, filled with sin, you know, read Romans 5.8. Christ showed his, God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. And not because we were good enough he was, would give his life because we'd earned it, but because we were desperate enough there was no other way for us to God other than through Jesus Christ. That's love. So a church that's on fire is going to care about people. Uh, a church that's on fire is also going to accomplish great things for God. John fourteen twelve says, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, And greater things than these shall he do. That's where we get to what we we looked at a few weeks ago when God does things at Conway Baptist Church that no human being can explain that it's not a revival that we worked up from here. We did things and we worked things and we we publicized and communicated enough and, and got people to come and we worked hard enough that we accomplished certain things. No, when God does things, the people on the outside say, how in the world did that happen at Conway Baptist Church? And we genuinely and humbly say, only through the power of God could that ever happen. It's greater things, infinite things, like the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish, like Elijah calling fire down from heaven that consumed that waterlogged offering. That's humanly speaking, you can't light that fire. But God did. So, when God does things in our lives and through the life of Conway Baptist Church, and He takes complete control, it's greater things. I had a, a, a summer youth worker one summer named Daphne, and she came, and there was a, there was a big church down the road, and then there was, was our church that so was uh, you know white siding church. It wasn't small, it was close to this size. And that weekend, she was just real, real quiet and and didn't say much. She was visiting, and she had a friend that was visiting the bigger church down the road. And so Saturday night, we were sitting on my porch, and I said, Daphne, I I know, I think, what's going on in your life. You're you're looking at this building, white-siding building. You hold a couple hundred people packed, and you're looking at the one Tiffany went to, that's twice as big and there's a lot newer and a big brick with a brick cupola and, and all and you're, you're wishing you were there instead of here and she just looked at me deer in headlights you know kind of thing and I said I'm, I'm going to promise you something if, if you're willing to take the step to come and join us for the summer of of. 1999. That's when it was. I said, if you're willing to come here and join us by the end of the summer, you're going to praise God that He brought you here because of the things He's doing. Because I can't put a lot of it on paper. You know, people would ask, "How do you how do you build a youth group?" And I've joked with y'all before, but you know, you get we had some some beautiful young ladies, and all the guys wanted to come see them. That works for a week or two, you know, but. But So a lot of the things that were happening and and other pastors would say, well, what's going on? And I honestly had to say, I don't don't know. There are people that come and they've been in town. Oh, they've known this church and they've known me for years. And I don't know one day they just show up. Because God brought them here. And it's God. It's not that, you know, well, Paul said this and Mac did that and, and Ellen did this and the different church. No, no, no. It's when God has complete control and, and we're, we're honest enough to say, I, I don't know. It's not that what I did or you did, but it's what God did. And, and Daphne was, was bold enough to say, okay. And she in that conversation. She said, okay. I, I believe you. And where she said, I know you believe that. And I said, oh, you will in a few weeks. And that's what happens when God takes control that you don't judge it by what it looks like on the outside but God does things on the inside that everybody talks about. Because that that summer that other church had a, a very bad conflict. The first week that young lady was there, Tiffany, the first week I went into my deacons and I was telling, "How's Tiffany doing?" And Daphne, I was telling them, giving them an update. And the guy and I said how bad it was for Tiffany, and they said, "Tell you what, we'll just hire her." And I said, "To to do what? You know, I mean, we don't need her." They said, "We don't have to need her." Now, think, this is what I'm talking about with the spirit. We don't have to need her. If that young lady's in a difficult situation and she's left her family to come to this town, by God, we'll pay her. And if all she does is sit there and smile and have a good summer, we'll pay her to save her. Now, that's that's the spirit of God working. And the answer was, no, we're not going to do that. That's not the right thing. But back where we started this this morning, But our deacon said, we're going to pray for her, and we're going to pray for that church that was right down the road. We're going to pray for them, that God will intervene, that God will change things, and that this will be the best summer they've ever had. Church one mile away, one mile. And that's exaggerating a little bit. It wasn't even a mile. When you trust God enough to understand that he actually is in control, and he can bless the church down the road or up the road or across the river abundantly and beyond measure. And he can bless us too. When the fire comes down from heaven, it's consuming. And it can change a, a church and it can change a whole area and to God be the glory don't you want your life to be the life that's the spark that ignites it that God uses and if you look back a few weeks or months or years from now and say I got to be a part of it in the beginning it can start right here today in our time of prayer in just a moment pray with me please Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you and for what you do and how you use us. And, and God, we think about the possibilities. And, and so often we, it, we make it depend on us, but it never depends on us. It's all dependent on you. God, help us to surrender, to let go and to, to be prayerful and to be expectant and to understand what you'll do when we give you control. So God, this morning for Conway Baptist Church and and every one of us who's sitting here today, we want to let go of everything we're holding on to. We want to open our arms and ask you, God, to send down your fire from heaven on us to consume us so that the whole community of Conway and far beyond would say about this church, how in the world Can those people do that? And we have the joy of answering. It's because of the God we serve. God, we just give you everything. And we pray that this morning is the start of a movement of your spirit that this community has never seen in our lifetimes. And that it points people to you and not to us and not to Conway Baptist Church. But God, we we just are letting go. And we ask the same thing Solomon asked and saw that your glory fills this place so tremendously that we fall on our faces on the pavement in your presence. As we bow and offer this prayer in the holy name of Jesus Christ, amen. This morning our invitation hymn, hymn of commitment is hymn 294.